Well, good morning. Every, uh, every team that wins does so because of this, unless you are maybe the New England Patriots and then luck is involved as well. <laughs> every person that sheds some unwanted pounds does so because of this. Anyone who's kicked an addiction does so because of this. Every marriage that goes the distance does so because of this. What is it? Commitment. Commitment. We're talking about commitment today. Eugene Peterson says commitment is a long obedience in the same direction. And uh, you, if you are new here to Abundant Life, I want to say welcome. It's good to be with you guys today. My name is Jeff, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you. Uh, and uh, if you're just jumping in, we are in the midst of a series called Facing Giants. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the life, the story of David uh, in the Bible and some of the giants that he faced in his life and drawing some principles that we could apply to our life. And so we started off talking about the most famous giant of all, Goliath, and we looked at some uh, general principles for engaging in giant warfare. And then we talked about the giant of insignificance. We said that you are significant because God has chosen you. And then we talked about last week, Pastor George shared about the giant of opposition. What do you do about the spear throwers in your life? And today, we're tackling the giant of commitment. We have defined a giant as something, anything in your life that is bigger than we can handle on our own. It could be an obstacle, like the giant of insignificance or the giant of opposition, or it could be an opportunity, like the giant we're talking about today, the giant of commitment. And in last week's story, we had an opportunity to get a glimpse into David's character. You see, we found David in a cave with King Saul, and Saul was trying to uh, take David out, was trying to kill him, and so uh, David had an incredible opportunity to take care of, of Saul, to wipe him out, to end the days of hiding in caves, ducking spears, and running for his life, and in a sense, take the fast track to the throne. But David was a man of character, and he refused to do that. Instead, what he did is he trusted God rather than take matters into his own hands. And today, we're going to get a glimpse a little more into David's character into David's life as we take a look at David's character through the keeping of commitments. David is now king. We fast forward a little bit. The days of running for his life, the days of of running from Saul are behind him. He's now king and he has won favor with the people. His approval ratings are sky high. He is on the top of his game. And it says in 2 Samuel 8 verse 14 that the Lord gave David victory Wherever he went, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all of his people. And you see, David had a strong character. He did what was right. He did what was good, even if it was hard. And his days of running are behind him, but there was a commitment, a promise that he made a long time ago that he had not forgotten. You see, when Saul was chasing after David, was trying to kill him, Saul's son, Jonathan, was best friends with David, and Jonathan was trying to save him. And during this time, Jonathan made this request of David. It's found in your notes in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. It says, if I make it through this alive, continue to be my covenant friend. And if I die, keep the covenant friendship with my family. In other words, what Jonathan is saying is, hey, if, if I don't make it, through this, 
then would you show the same love and the same friendship that you have shown me to my family? Well, Jonathan does die at the hands of the Philistines, but the commitment that David made to Jonathan does not. Now, there were a lot of reasons for uh, David to not keep this commitment. I mean, this was a commitment that he made a long time ago. They were young, idealistic. Times have kind of changed now. David was really busy now. He had a kingdom to run. This is a commitment that could have been very expensive. There's no telling how many of Jonathan's family were still alive. Or just what if it was hard? What if it didn't go well? I mean, these are all reasons that you and I might have to not keep a commitment today. But David was a man of his word. And commitments to him were meant to be kept. And so we're going to pick up the story today in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you want to follow along, uh, you can. It'll be on the screen. It's in your notes. And in verse 1, it says that one day David began wondering if anyone in Saul's family was still alive. For he had promised Jonathan that he would show kindness to them. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them in any way that I can. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he is crippled. Now notice Ziba doesn't mention the boy's name, but he's really quick to point out the boy's condition. He's crippled, he's lame. He doesn't come right out and say it, but you can kind of read between the lines here. Ziba is telling David, like, hey, David, this one, this is one promise you might not want to keep. I mean, this boy is not exactly who you want hobbling around the palace. Well, the boy's name is Mephibosheth. Try saying that three times in a row. <clears throat> okay, Mephibosheth. And it, his story is found in 2 Samuel 4. And, and the story goes that when Mephibosheth was uh, five years old, Jonathan, who was his dad, and Saul, who was his grandpa, were killed at the hands of the Philistines. And so the army is pressing in, and they're running for their lives. So Saul's family is heading for the hills to escape the Philistine army. And in the process of that, Mephibosheth's nurse grabs the boy in an attempt to escape and drops him. And he breaks both of his ankles, leaves him lame for life. The servants come along, they pick him up, and they take him to a small village that's named Lo-Debar. And can I just tell you that Lodabar is probably not a tropical paradise. The meaning is no pasture. So David sends an entourage to go find and pick up Mephibosheth and bring him back to the palace. And I have to imagine when they arrive that Mephibosheth has got to be thinking like, oh, he found me. This is it. This is the end of my life. But what he quickly discovers is this isn't the end. This is a new beginning. The story picks up in verse 8. It says, shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye. Mephibosheth said, who am I that you pay attention to a stray dog like me? David then called in Ziba, Saul's right-hand man, and told him, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, I've handed over to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants will work this land and bring in the produce provisions for your master's grandson. Mephibosheth himself, your master's grandson, from now on will take all of his meals at my table. Now, I'm sure if Mephibosheth could, he would be jumping up and down for joy. He would be doing the happy dance. Instead, i got to imagine that he is grinning from ear to ear, pinching himself, just thinking, if this is a dream, I hope that I never wake up. Because in one day's time, 
his life dramatically changed. He was living, he woke up in the morning living in a town called No Pasture, and now had a place at the palace and a place at the king's table. Did he deserve it? Absolutely not. Did he earn it? No way. But what Mephibosheth received was a life-changing gift because David was a man of his word and kept his commitment. We hear the word commitment a lot in culture. Companies say we are committed to excellence. Uh, Couples may say we are committed until death do us part. Churches say we are committed to reaching people. But here's the deal about commitments. Commitments are easy to make, but they're very hard to keep. And I think the reason why they're hard to keep is because of this definition right here. A commitment is the ability to stay with a decision long after the emotion in which the decision was made is gone. Let me say that one more time. A commitment is the ability to stay with a decision long after the emotion in which the decision was made is gone. See, oftentimes commitments are made in times of emotion. But once the emotion is gone or times get tough or the reality sets in or problems arise, we find that the commitment that we spoke becomes just hollow words or empty promises. You see, it had probably been about 15 years since when David made this commitment to Jonathan. They were young, they were idealistic. It was probably made in a time of emotion, but that didn't matter to David because David was a man of his word. He kept his commitments. Commitment is what separates dreamers from doers. Commitment is the difference between starting something and quitting and starting something and finishing. But commitment, the the giant of commitment is is a challenging giant to face. And I think it's a challenging giant because there's several factors for that. Number one is the cost, the cost factor. You see, every commitment has a price tag. There's no such thing as a free commitment. A commitment's gonna cost you something. Jesus talked about that when he talked about the cost of building a house. He said, who builds a house without first figuring out whether he has enough to finish it? Jesus also talked about the cost to follow him. You see, if we choose to follow Jesus, to commit to Jesus, there's going to be a cost to that. He talks about that in Matthew 16, verse 24, where he says, Jesus told his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. You see, commitment has a cost. It doesn't matter what the commitment is. It will cost you time, emotional energy, physical energy, money, maybe giving up some preferences or some comfort or giving up something of yourself. The other reason that a commitment, the giant of commitment is difficult is because of fear. It's the fear factor. You see, most often, giants are scary. Unless, of course, you're talking about the BFG. And if you're not familiar with the BFG, it's the big, friendly giant. But outside of that, giants tend to be very scary. And and commitments are no different. You see, we fear being unable to measure up. We fear being unable to measure up, that we won't be able to keep our commitment. It's the fear of failure. That we're not going to be able to live up to the commitments that we made. I believe this is one of the biggest reasons why younger generations today have a hard time making commitments. Because they have been on the receiving end of so many broken commitments and broken promises. And they think to themselves, why even try? 
I think this is especially true when it comes to the commitment of marriage. You hear all the time, like, you know what, my parents didn't make it in their marriage, or my first marriage didn't last. So we get this idea of, like, why try? Why make that commitment? Why go through that pain again? And the result is, in our culture today, we are seeing more and more couples moving in together, living together without the commitment of marriage. And I think the reason for that is this right here is the fear of commitment, the fear of it not working out. And this is total aside, this is a freebie, but just on on marriage, Statistics actually show that couples who choose to move in together, live together without the commitment of marriage, actually have a 30 to 40% higher chance of separating the couples who marry first. Why? Because of the giant of commitment. Because what marriage is, is that marriage requires a commitment of two people to become one. The Bible talks about it as a sacred covenant that's made between two people and God himself. And what it does is it paints an incredible picture to the world of the love that Jesus has for the church. Because the church is referred to in the Bible as the bride of Christ. And if you are here and you're married today, I just want you to know that your marriage paints a beautiful, incredible picture of the love of Jesus and the commitment that he has to the church You see, when two people choose to live together without the commitment of marriage, it's sort of like enjoying the benefits of marriage, the idea of marriage, without the one thing that makes a marriage work, commitment. Let's get back to our definition. It's the ability to stay with a decision long after the emotion in which the decision was made is gone. So we fear not being able to live up to our commitment. We also fear being betrayed. It's the thought that, you know, I've been betrayed, I've been hurt because that commitment didn't work out, so no thanks. I'm going to pass on making a commitment because I don't want to be let down again. And then the other fear that we have is the fear of being trapped. That if I make a commitment, I'm going to be trapped. We might say things like, I don't want to lose my freedom, I I don't want to be tied down, I want to keep my options open. In fact, George, uh, George Barna says that in our culture today, where we used to value commitment, we now value flexibility. And I think this can ring true in so many areas of your life, but let me just tell you uh, just a story from from my life. This fall, our church launched a a series called All In. And if you were here in the fall, uh, you know, but if you weren't here in the fall, All In is actually Abundant Life's two-year expanded vision, where as a church, our hope is to expand our physical capacity as well as expand our, our spiritual capacity. And as part of that vision, our entire church was, was challenged to give financially in a generous and sacrificial way. The staff was included in that. And I just know, if I were to be really open and just honest about the thoughts and feelings that kind of flow through me, when we first started talking about that, all of these statements started to run through my mind. The fear of being trapped. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to lose my financial freedom. I don't know if I want to be tied down for two years. I don't know if I, I want to be able to keep my options open and have financial flexibility. But as we began to just kind of pray about our commitment, we felt like God was leading us to make a commitment because we believe in what God is doing in this church. And then we increased it a little bit because we believe that investing in God and his kingdom is actually greater than investing in ourselves. And I could just tell you, so far God has taken care of us that it's been both freeing and exciting 
to be part of what God is going to do here at Abundant Life in the next couple of years. You see, when it comes to commitment, there are four types of people. There's the cop-outs, the people who won't commit to anything. Then there's the holdouts, the people who feel like they just, they can't live up to a commitment, so they just avoid it altogether. Then there's the dropouts, people who make commitments, but they don't keep any or many of them. And then there's the all-outs, the people who will pay the price to keep their commitment. And my hope and prayers as a church is that we would be in the all-out category when it comes to commitments of all kinds. So let's get back to the story, David and Mephibosheth. You see, God's desire for us is that we would be a lot like David when it comes to commitments, that we would be a people of commitment. And just like David, God is calling you and I to tackle this giant in our life. And so I have just in your notes a, a few things of what does it look like for us to become a people of commitment. And the first thing in your notes is to look to God for strength to make and keep your commitments. You see, remember, a giant is something that we can't do on our own, so we need God's help. We need God's help to be faithful to the commitments that we make, because commitments are tough. They require staying power beyond our ability. You see, you need God's help to stand by a spouse who is dealing with an addiction or depression or a sickness. You're going to need God's help to stand at the doorway, always believing that your child who went the wrong way is going to return. You're going to need God's help to make it through those long nights of dirty diapers and all kinds of crying. You're going to need God's help to navigate those really difficult seasons of parenting. You're going to need God's help to continue loving your spouse even when you just don't feel like it. You see, David in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament understood this idea of needing God's help. In 2 Samuel 8, verse 14, it says, The Lord gave David victory in everything he did. You see, David knew where his victory came from. And David said these words in Psalm 121. He says, I lift up my eyes to the, to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who's the maker of heaven and earth. And then Paul, in Philippians 4, verse 13, says, Christ gives me the strength to face anything. Let me say that again. Christ gives me the strength to face anything, including the giant that you're facing right now. And for some of you, maybe that is like the one word or the one verse that you just need to get through this week, that Christ will give you the strength to face anything. The second thing is to resist the notions of others to break our commitments. I'm talking about the doubters, the naysayers, because you're going to have them. In 2 Samuel 9, uh, David had a naysayer. It was, uh, it was Ziba, right? Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he's crippled. In other words, Ziba's saying, hey, this, you, this might not be a commitment that you want to keep. And you could just sort of hear the condescending tone as you read between the lines. That he may just be whispering, you know, to David, hey, David, David, Mephibosheth, He's not worth it. And maybe you have somebody who's whispering into your ear, hey, just leave him. Just leave him. He's not worth it. Or maybe you can walk out on her. You can do better than her. Sure, you signed that contract, but this is such a better deal. It's not going to be a big deal if you break it. Or, hey, just give up. You can start over. 
You see, there's always going to be doubters. There's always going to be naysayers in our life. But don't listen to the doubters. Instead, choose to surround yourself with people who will encourage you in the commitments that you have made. And then the third thing is that we base our commitments on true love, not feelings. Right? If you remember Star Wars, your feelings betray you. And, and sometimes that's true. Our feelings are not always reliable to us. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, it says, And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. And you see, a true commitment is based on authentic love. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on emotions. And it's not just when it's convenient. Because many times, your commitment is going to be challenged. You will be called upon to keep your commitment at a moment when you are least feeling like it. And that's when the temptation is so great to take the easy way out and to back out. I want to share with you an incredibly moving story about Robert McQuilkin. He's the former president of Columbia Bible College in South Carolina. He was there for 22 years. And one day his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it wasn't long after that that she required 24-hour care. And so he made the decision to take an early retirement in order to care for his wife. But he had some doubters in his life. He had some people that were determined to convince him to not step down from his position. They were saying things to him like, hey, God has chosen you for this great work. Or think of the impact that you can have for God if you don't retire, if you stay in this position. And other people actually said, you know what? Other people can care for your wife. She doesn't even know who you are. To which he responded, but I know who she is. And today I choose to keep my promise to her. I want you to see his words about his wife and the commitment he made to her in this video. Take a look at this. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. That's what the words of commitment sound like. So how do we become a people of commitment? Well, the fourth thing is that we discover that God provides when we make commitments. 
See, oftentimes we think that, you know, when God shows me the way, then I'll commit. Or when God gives me the money, then I'll give. But that's not how God operates. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, that's what faith does. It requires us to step first. When the Israelites put their feet in the water, that's when God stopped the flow. When the Israelites marched around the city seven times, that's when God brought the walls down. And when David stepped onto the battlefield to face Goliath, that's when God brought the victory. You see, we have to take the first step. That's faith. That's commitment. And when we commit, then things begin to happen. Psalm 37.5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. In his book, Favor with Kings, Caleb Anderson states, it's not until you fully commit that you etch your name in the foundation of a preferred future. You see, we'll never discover the future that God has for us until we commit first. So God's desire for us is that we would be like David, that we would be people of commitment. But God also is showing us something else in this story. And what he's showing us is his heart. You see, God's heart towards us is revealed in David's heart towards Mephibosheth. See, this just just is not a story about David's commitment to Jonathan. What this is, is it's a story of God's commitment to us. And this just isn't a story about David's kindness to Mephibosheth. It's a story of God's kindness towards us. This story reveals to us the very heart of God towards us. You see, we have a whole lot in common with Mephibosheth. Just like Mephibosheth, we were victims of a fall. And we were crippled too. Because Adam and Eve, they fell in the Garden of Eden. We too suffer the consequences of their fall. We don't have broken ankles, but we do have a broken relationship with God. And our sin separates us from our Heavenly Father. But God, he comes and he picks us up and he invites us to his table and he makes us whole. Paul says in Romans 5, 18, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight and gives them life. You see, you were born the child of a king, just like Mephibosheth. And you were left hobbled because of the consequences of your brokenness. But then came a messenger from the palace, a messenger from the kingdom that picks you up and he makes you whole and he changes everything. And just like Mephibosheth, we were living a meaningless existence. You see, before Christ came into our life, we were living in our own Lodabars. A picture of Lodabar is, is maybe a picture like a, just a barren desert trailer town in eastern Oregon somewhere. It's probably not too far off from what it was. But it's a picture of what our life was like before Jesus. No hope, no joy, and no purpose. And then Jesus steps into our story. In Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then he picked us up, he set us down, in the highest heaven, in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all of the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Jesus Christ. See, we too were living a hopeless existence, but God has given us a new purpose in life. In verse 10 it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long 
ago. And just like Mephibosheth, we were living in poverty. See, like Mephibosheth, we had nothing and we were nothing apart from Jesus. But God has made us rich and he set a place for us at his table and he's given us a home in his heavenly kingdom. In Colossians 1 verse 13, it says, God rescued us from the dead end alleys and the dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son that he loves so much. And just like Mephibosheth, we don't deserve any of this. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, You were saved by faith in God, who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you, not anything that you have done on your own. It isn't something that you have earned, so there's nothing that you could do to brag about him, but have been given it all because God keeps his promises. And in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we were not faithful, he will still be faithful, because Christ cannot deny who he is. I want to challenge you today to be careful about the commitments that you do choose to make. And then do everything that you can to keep them. And I don't mean to minimize, some of you here are maybe experiencing some great challenges in keeping your commitments that you may be experiencing frustration or anger or sadness or disappointment. Things just haven't turned out the way that you hoped they would. But somewhere looming in your past is a commitment that you made. And I wanna encourage you, as much as depends on you, to do all that you can to keep your commitment. You see, when you remain true to your word, what you're doing is you're modeling what God does for you. And when you keep a promise, you're sort of catching a glimpse of what God does for you. And when you choose to love the liar, the cheater, and the messed up, you are doing what God does for you every single day of your life. But maybe you're here today and the biggest commitment that you need to make is simply a commitment to the one who first committed to you. You see, Jesus is committed to you. And he loves you with an unending type of love. And even in the midst of your brokenness and your rebellion and your failures, he remains committed to you. And he demonstrated that commitment on the cross. Talk about a commitment that would have been easy to break or back out of. But Jesus didn't. He stepped forward to the cross because he knew the only way for you and I to have a new life was for him to lay down his own life. It was only through his shed blood and his broken body on the cross that we could have forgiveness and freedom from the guilt and the shame of our sin. And that our life can move in a new direction. And if you're here and you have never committed your life to Jesus, I wanna encourage you to do that today. Because it's the most important commitment you will ever make. It has eternal implications. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus, I'm gonna invite you, I'm just gonna say a prayer, and I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. But I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud. And you can leave here today with a new hope, knowing that you've been forgiven and a new direction in your life. I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud as an expression of your commitment to Jesus. But maybe you're here and you just need to recommit your, your life, your commitment to Jesus. Or maybe you made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago. I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud as well. As just a, a way, a reminder of recommitting ourselves and our lives to Jesus. 
So as we close, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your commitment of love and grace for me. Thank you for enduring the cross in my place, for forgiving me of my sins, for giving me hope, and for giving me purpose. And today I commit my life to you. I commit to following your way for my life, wherever you lead me. I'm trusting you as my Savior and my Lord. Amen.